The following audio is from Solid Rock Community Church. More information about Solid Rock Community Church is available at www.solidrockcommunitychurch.com. Well, I am so glad that you're, you're here this morning. Um, I want to begin by just saying that uh, if you were here last week, um, then you know that we said that one of the reasons uh, that Jesus showed up on this planet was to put religion in its place. And we said the reason that that was so important, and again, you, many of you know my background, is whenever religion moves into first place, then it, it's always at the expense of mercy. When religion is on the top shelf, when religion is, is most important, when religion moves into first place, mercy always, always suffers. And as we saw last week, Jesus consistently prioritized people over his own religion, his own customs, even his own traditions, and that at the end of the day, people were priority. And after the service last week, after I got done speaking, uh, I had some of you come up to me and uh, you you said to me, uh, I'm so glad we're talking about this because I've really been struggling over the last six months or so about how to respond to certain people that God has brought into my life. You know, what should be my perspective? What should be my attitude toward them? And then uh, some of you mentioned to me how your children are starting to come up to you and ask you the same thing. And how that last week's message was so clear that if we're going to be like Jesus, then people need to be a priority as well. And it doesn't mean you change your beliefs. It does not mean you change your convictions. It does not mean that, you know, you change your values. We just love people where they are. And so over this past week, as I was thinking about those conversations that I had with some of you, I just couldn't get it out of my mind. And I felt prompted uh, by the Holy Spirit to pause in our study of the Gospel of Mark and spend a few weeks, maybe two or three weeks, you know, however long it takes, um, and to, to talk about the question that I asked last week, which was simply this. Why did Jesus, why did Jesus, who was God in a human body, why did he become one of us and live as one of us among us? And again, last week we looked at one of those reasons, but there are other reasons as well. And as we discover those reasons, and I want us to discover them together as, as we discover those reasons, then when we go back to our study of Mark and we begin to look at what Jesus said, and we begin to look at how Jesus interacted with people, and we begin to look at how Jesus interacted with the religious leaders, then hopefully we'll have this new grid, we'll have a better understanding, we'll have a better perspective that will make our study of Mark that much, much uh, richer. So that's what we're going to do. We're just going to pause and, and do that for, for the next few weeks. Now, if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, then one of the things that you believe, and I'm a follower of Christ, so I believe this, we believe that God came to this earth 2,000 plus years ago, and actually, as you see on the screen there, He actually, the God, actually became one of us which is so mind-boggling when you, you know, begin to think about that. And probably the person who explains it the best is a man named John who wrote the Gospel of John. <clears throat> and what makes this account so amazing is that John, who was an eyewitness of uh, the life of Jesus, 
after three years, after following Jesus around throughout his ministry, when John on the Isle of Patmos, where he was, when he finally sat down and began to write about this, because he realized he's an old man, and he realized this, you know, Jesus hadn't returned yet, and, you know, I need to write all this stuff down. When he sat down to, to uh, summarize the life of Jesus, you know, what he had heard and what he had seen and what he had experienced himself personally, John came to the conclusion that Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God. In fact, here's how John wrote it. He says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, or literally camped out among us, and we saw his glory. And when he says we, he's not talking about you, he's not talking about me, he's talking about we, me and Matthew, me and, me and Peter, me, me and uh, James, you know, we, we, we were all there. And we saw his glory, his glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace. And so John is like, I'm, I'm telling you, after everything we've seen, the best way that I can describe it is that God, the God, showed up in a body, a human body, and dwelt among us. See, and, and if you're sitting here today and you're not a Christian, you're probably thinking, hmm, I'm not sure I can buy into that. I mean, the God showed up in a body. But my question to you is, what if it's true? What if it really happened? What if John's right? What if Peter's right? What if James, the brother of Jesus, is, is right? And so we're going to ask this question, you know, and, and assuming that it really happened, why? Why did it happen? Why did God why did God become one of us and live as one of us? Why in the world would he do that? So we're going to pause in our study in the Gospel of Mark for you know, the next two or three weeks, and we're going to answer the question, why did he come? Now, for those of you who grew up in church, you know, you're sort of a, you know, something that you did all your life, I kind of already know what you're thinking. You're like, well, didn't Jesus come to die and to pay for our sins? I mean, isn't that why he came? Absolutely, he did. But what we're going to discover, and this is so important for all of us, what we're going to discover is that there's some other reasons why it was that Jesus came. And I'm not going to just tell you what they are. I want us to discover it together. So here's the first answer or the first reason that we're going to discover or together, the second reason, I guess, because we discovered one last week, putting religion in its place, as to why Jesus came. And it's found in a conversation that Jesus had with his disciples at the very end of his ministry. And I want to try and put this in context for you. Jesus is at the end of his ministry, he's telling his closest followers, hey guys, I just want you to know, Matthew, Peter, you guys need to pay attention. I just want you guys to know that I'm getting ready to leave. But everything's going to be okay. You guys don't have to worry about it. And of course, you can imagine what might have been going through the minds of his followers because they're thinking, uh, well, if you leave, then what's going to happen to us? So while they're having this conversation, there's all this tension, there's all this emotion in the room which leads to this conversation that he has where we get a glimpse of what it is that Jesus came to do and why it is that God chose, uh, why God sent him to, to live among us. So here's the conversation. I just want to take a few minutes and read this conversation to you. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And then check this out. You believe in God? Of course, everybody in the room, Matthew, Peter, James, all these guys, yeah, we believe in God. And Jesus is like, okay, great. Okay, then believe in me 
also. In other words, you know, just like you trust in God, I want you to trust in me. Of course, we're not sure what they're thinking, but Jesus continues. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? So so he reminds them again that he's leaving. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. So these guys are like, okay, wait a minute. You're, Jesus, you're, you're leaving? You're, you're really going to leave? And then you're going to come back? And then you're going to take us to be where you were before you came back to get us? And then he continues in verse 4. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. And I would imagine they're kind of looking at each other going like, we don't even know what you're talking about. And here's something you should know. This is interesting. We've talked about this before. When he, when this phrase, the way, uh, when Jesus went to be with his father at the end of his ministry, the people that followed him were not called Christians. That was something that happened later. In fact, the term Christian early on was actually a derogatory term. So they called them followers of the way. In fact, if you read through the, the uh, book of Acts, you will find that phrase, the way. And the reason they called them the followers of the way is because of this little conversation that Jesus is having with his closest guys right here. He says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And so Thomas is sort of sitting over there kind of representing the group and he's going, Lord, we, we don't know where you're going. How, how are we going to know the way? I mean, we know that you know, and we know that you know what you're talking about, but we're not really sure. And Jesus answered, and if you grew up in church, again, you've heard this many, many times. Jesus answered, I am the way. So you do know the way. I am the way and the truth and the life. And then this is, gets really, really narrow, especially for uh, 21st century uh, thought. Think about this. And no one, no one, no one, no one, no one comes to the Father. That would be God. That would be God because Jesus taught them to pray our Father. In other words, when you're talking to God, say our Father. So when Jesus says our Father, he's talking about God. No one, this is so narrow, no one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus is right at the end of his ministry on this planet, and he makes it really, really clear. And, I'm, and again, I, I just, I'm trying to imagine what they might be thinking. Okay, there he goes again. He's equating himself with God. And then Jesus says this, from now on, you do know him, the Father, and have seen him. And again, I, I, I think they're probably thinking, okay, what is this conversation really about? So Philip says, uh, Jesus, we don't want to be disrespectful. We want to try to understand this. And Philip makes this statement sort of asking a question, a question that you have asked. In fact, even if you're not a Christian, even if you're not a religious person, you have asked this question. And it's a powerful question. And here's what Philip says. He says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. I mean, we get it that you're going and coming, and we're going and coming, and you know, you're the way, we know the way, got that. But here's something that we can get our arms around. Here's something that we can really get focused on. Jesus, just show us God, and that will be enough. 
Jesus, just show us God. And I love this. That will be enough. And here's why that's so great. Because at some point in your life, some point in your life, whether you're a Christian or not, and maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, maybe you've been a Christian your entire life. But here's the question that you've wondered about. I mean, come on. Hasn't there been a point in your life, and if there hasn't been, there will be, where it's like, okay, if I could just know for certain that there's a God, I mean, if something would just happen, or, you know, if I could just see something, you know, preferably not at night, late at night, or early in the morning, you know, in your bedroom. But at some point in my life, if God appeared, or if God said something, if I could just know with certainty that there's a God, and that God knows my name, and that God knows I'm here, even if God didn't do anything, even if God didn't say anything, even if God didn't require anything, even if God didn't have to heal me or if God didn't have to fix anything, if I could just live the rest of my life going forward with the certainty that there's a God, that God knows my name, that God knows I'm here, I think for most of us, for most of life's circumstances, that would be enough for us. That at the end of the day, that at the end of the night, for those dark nights of the soul where you just go, you know what? There's one thing I know for sure. There is a God and he knows I'm here. That would be enough. For some of you, that would be enough for you. I think that's what Philip is asking here. I think that's what he's saying. He's saying, Lord, I get it. I get it. I mean, okay, you know, you can go and come and take us with you. Fine, whatever. But just show us the Father. Because if we can have that, that kind of confidence, then that's all we need. And here's how Jesus responds. He says, Philip. He says, don't you know me, Philip? And Philip's like, don't you understand my question, right? Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been with you such a long time? And again, it's like, okay, is he saying what I think he's saying? I mean, once again, are we back to the equation that it's like, you know, you and God and you and the Father? Anyone, Jesus says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Philip, show us the Father? In other words, Philip and, and, and all the other guys are listening to this as well, and this is important for us as, as well. Jesus, I, Jesus is saying, look, I'm as close as you will ever get to seeing what God is like. If you want to know what the Father is like, Philip, I'm just telling you that in this life, I, Jesus, he would say, I'm as good, I'm as close as it gets. And then he, then he goes on, he says, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And then look at this. The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, and boy, is this big. The words that I've been saying to you I don't speak on my own authority. In other words, and this, this is what we need to dial in. In other words, if you want to know what God says, if you want to know what God says, then you just listen to me. That's what Jesus would say. If you want to know what God says about something, listen to me. If you want to know what God thinks about that, listen to me. If you want to know what God's attitude or perspective is on that kind of person or that kind of circumstance or your money or your relationships or your career 
or whatever it is that you're involved. If you want to know what God thinks, if you want to know what God would say to you or say to a person who did that or thought that or was contemplating that, if you want to know what God would say, then you just listen to me. And then he goes on. Rather, he says, it is the Father living in me who is doing His work. You want to know what God would do? Watch me. You want to know how God would respond? Watch me. You want to know how God would get involved in a situation like that? Watch me. Want to know how God would respond to that kind of circumstance or that kind of person or that kind of problem? You you want to know how God would interface with something like that? Watch me. Because you will never, ever get a better clue about what God is like than me, Jesus would say. And this is so important for us. You know why Jesus showed up? You know why Jesus came into this world to dwell among us? One of the reasons was not only to communicate to us how much, you know, he loves us and how much, you know, what God is like, but also to show us, to demonstrate it for us, what God is like. God wants you to know him at such a personal level that he was not content just to send information, so he sent himself. God was so interested in you making it personal, making this personal and not just categorical, that he showed up to make it as personal as possible, to take away as much guesswork as could possibly be taken away as it relates to somebody like you and somebody like me. He said, I want you to know as much as possible that you can possibly know, and I have to accommodate your capacity because you're finite humans. But instead of hoping that you could sort of, you know, somehow look, look up and out and, you know, try to figure it all out, I decided to come down and in to live among you because I want you to know me. I don't want you to guess. I don't want you to try to figure it out. Jesus, Jesus didn't have the best explanation of God. Jesus came to be the best explanation of God. And this is so, so important because preachers and teachers and people like me, you know, stand up here on Sundays and, you know, we get up and, you know, we have explanations. We have all these explanations. You know, here's what I think it means. Here's what I think you would do. Here's what I think you ought to do. I mean, we have a lot of information. You know, I have an explanation. Every pastor, every priest, every prophet, I mean, everybody has an exclamation. And then Jesus shows up and Jesus says, look, I want you to look at me because I am the explanation. I have come with one text, one translation. He says, I have come to explain the Father to you. Listen to what I say. Watch what I do, because you will never get any closer to God than me, Jesus says. If you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, I mean, you're really a follower of Jesus, and you take the New Testament in our Bible seriously, and you believe that these guys really saw this stuff, and you really believe that these guys wrote this stuff down, and you really believe that our faith, I mean, you know, our faith in history, you know, is a, you know we're able to back it up. If you really believe that, this, this is amazing, because th- it, here's what it means. It means that your, your best opportunity to get to know God and what He is like is to listen to what Jesus says 
and to watch what Jesus does. Unfortunately, and this is the challenge that we have, we have this tendency, we have this inclination to try to figure out God by looking in all the wrong places. We do. In fact, let me try to illustrate. For example, we look to our circumstances. This is huge. Here's what we do. Even, Even as Christians, even as followers of Jesus, we're constantly trying to piece together events. And we look at events and we go, oh, that's God. Oh, that must be God. Oh, that must be God. That must be God. That must be God. The problem is, is we're really terrible at interpreting circumstances. Listen, I, I guarantee you, anybody who's been a Christian for four or five years, you can, you can come up here on this stage right now, and you can tell about a time when you thought, okay, when something happened in your life, and you go, hey, this happened, and there was no doubt in my mind, I am absolutely convinced it was God. This had to be God. And then things changed. And then it's like, hmm, I, I don't think that was God. I'm not sure that was. Or it's the other way around. You know, I had this great job and then I lost my job because, the, you know, the company downsized or the company got sold. And, you know, I had to move back in with my parents. And it's like, God, where are you? Where are you, God? I can't believe I lost my job. And so I moved back in with my parents, and then my dad got sick, and I was so glad I was able to move back in with my parents because I was there at the perfect time to help my mom with my dad because my dad just, you know, he just got sicker and sicker and sicker. And finally, you know, you know, he was getting better. And I look back on that time when I lost my job, and I just feel like God moved me back. And it's like, wait, wait, which one is it? Which one is it? And so, again, trying to interpret circumstances and, you know, figure out God. I mean, it's fun, it's interesting, all that good stuff. But you can, you can only go so far. If, if you're here this morning and you're a parent and you have children, uh, you, you understand this totally. You, you totally get this. Because parents and children, they have this thing going on all the time. You know, a 17-year-old girl shows up, comes home, and she's like, I am so mad. I am so upset. It's like, honey, what's wrong? Well, I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed that he would ask me to the prom, and he didn't ask me to the prom. God doesn't answer prayer. Mom, mom's over there going, well, I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed that he wouldn't ask you to the prom, and he didn't ask you to the prom. God answers prayer. Right, right mom, right, dad, right? So which one is it? 15 years later, 17-year-old girl, you know, who's now 15 years older, she's like, you know, I remember when I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed that he would ask me to the prom and God didn't answer my prayer. And now I'm looking, I'm like, whew, I'm so glad God didn't answer that prayer. I mean, it's interesting, it's fun, right? But if we're left to try to figure out what God is like by our ability to interpret, you know, circumstances, we're only going to get so far. Here's another one, and this is huge for me in my background in growing up. We, we look to religious traditions. And if you were raised in a church, then you have uh, um, some thoughts and beliefs about God that were ingrained into you as a child. You just do. <clears throat> if you grew up in a Catholic church, 
It's don't do and don't do, and you've got some things, and you know, here's the way we do it. And it impacted the way you view marriage. It impacted the way you view relationships and money. If you were raised in a Pentecostal church like I was, a very, very strict Pentecostal church like I was, then you've got your own set of, you know, well, here's what God's like. And over here, here are some things that God doesn't like. And then, you know, there's, there's things that God's kind of, hey, whatever. You know, and then, then there's things that, you know, we all struggle with, but that's sort of other people's sins, you know, sort of got that thing going on. And so you were, you, we were raised, and see, we, we grow up with these sayings, we grow up with these thoughts, and then we blend them all together, and then we come up with this view of God. The problem is, is that religious traditions, including mine, ours, you know, all of us, The problem is is that traditions, and I want to talk about each of these just just briefly. Traditions systematize, this is what I grew up in. They customize, and this was a big one when I grew up. They they made it fit. They emphasize, this was huge. But then they fossilize, and maybe some other eyes as well. And they all do, because here's the deal. And I'm a professional person, right, okay? So I get to, I can say this. In every, in every religious system, here's what we want. We want answers, right? We want yes, no. Yes, no. Nobody that's kind of, you know, selling or shoveling out or, you know, propagating a religious system wants to go, man, I have no idea. I'm, I'm not really sure. Honey, that's a great question. I'm not, no, nobody's doing that. I want to be able to go, the Bible says... The scripture teaches. Tradition says. We want answers. And in my background, we created all these systems. And I'm all for systems, okay? I'm not against that. I love systematic things. So we create systems that have all the answers. The problem is life, life keeps throwing new questions. And, and for some of you, maybe this is your story uh, for sure. Maybe, you know, for you growing up, you know, you went through a class at your church and you're, you're kind of the kid that kept asking all these questions that sort of irritated the teachers. You kind of like asking these questions and, you know, they're like calling mom up like, you know, Billy can't come back to class anymore because, you know, we just, because they couldn't answer your questions. If you've ever read, and we, we've talked about this before, if you've ever read Steve Jobs' uh, book or the book about Steve Jobs growing up and you got to that part in the book where it, where it talks about why it was that he just said goodbye and walked away from religion. He had a cover of Time Magazine, and on the cover of Time Magazine were these horrible pictures of things that were happening in the world. You can't even show it anymore because it's copyrighted, or I would have shown it to you. And and he took that cover into his religious environment, and he asked the question, he said, did God do this? Did God create this? Is this why this happened? And he got a terrible answer back, and it was kind of, the answer was kind of like, "Eh, you know, that doesn't really fit into our box. You know, little kid asking some really, really good questions. So he's like, okay, well, I'm done with that. And he just walks away. And I'm telling you this morning, every religious system, we systematize and then we customize. Boy, we did this in my background big time. And it's like, okay, this is so funny as I look back now. Okay, the Bible teaches both of these things. Teaches this. Which one should we emphasize? Because they don't seem to sync up. 
So I'll tell you what, here's what we'll do. We'll emphasize. Let's emphasize this teaching, and let's just hope that nobody else reads this part over here. We were so good at that. And every single religious system does this, and that's the problem with tradition. And then they just, you know, over time, you know, time goes by, and what seemed like a big deal, and boy, we're experiencing this now in the 21st century. What seemed like a big deal isn't a big deal, and now what is really, really a big deal, our systems weren't ready for it, and now they seem all outdated. And here's the problem, over time, over time, if that's your only way, if that's your primary way of trying to figure out what God is like, it's just limited. It's limited. Some of you, and this is a little bit sensitive, this is a little bit personal, you grew up in a church with a religious system that was all good and great and you were happy and everything was fine until your parents got divorced. And then you weren't sure what to do with that. And as a kid, as a teenager, you saw how the church responded to your mom or to your dad, however that happened. And, you know, one had to go or one left or, you know, he showed up with somebody, whatever. And you watched how that was handled. And, of course, you came to some conclusions about God based on how that divorce was handled. Or maybe your little sister got pregnant. And all of a sudden, the church, you know, we weren't just weren't so sure. And you heard things whispered. Sadly, this, I, again, experienced this kind of stuff in my background. You heard things whispered, and the preacher said, and they met with the pastor, and they met with the eldership, you know, whatever. And you came to some conclusions about God. Or your brother came out to the family that it was gay. And it was like, oh, my gosh, what do I do? What do we do with that? Because you heard your church talk about it, but this isn't a category anymore. This is my brother. And so do I take what I've heard? Do I take what's been insinuated? I mean, what do I do with that? And suddenly, your religious tradition leaves you with this tension and with the thought you're not sure what to do with it. And this is true for all of us. Every single one of us sitting in this auditorium has a story. It's a religious tradition. We all have them, and we need to pay attention to them. But I'm telling you, there is a better way to understand God, and it's Jesus. Now, you may not get too excited about that. I'm pretty excited about that. It's Jesus. The other way that we try to figure out God is we look within the problem with looking within is simply, okay, within is limited to within, right? You're only going to get so far, you know, and as you're meditating and, you know, whatever your deal is, and it's going to get quiet before the Lord. Nothing wrong with that. That's fine. But God's bigger than the within you is. And again, I don't think it's a bad idea. I mean, we should do that, but I just think it's limited. Here's something else we know, and I, would, I had this conversation just this week with somebody. In fact, I think it was with Terry. We had this conversation after the service last week. Here's what we know. The 16-year-old version of within is different than the 30-year-old version of within. And then there's the 65-year-old version of within you. So which one is God? Well, it's limited. And then the other thing, just to be a little bit more personal, some of you, a little itty-bitty pill that you take once a day determines what's within. Or maybe a couple pills. 
and the within you with the pill and the within you without the pill are two different versions of God, aren't they? And the people that live with you are like, well, um, <clears throat> we like the God within you plus the pill version than, you know, the God within you without the pill version, right? So again, getting quiet and meditating, I mean, that's good. It's just limited. And then, here's the other place, and then I'm done. <clears throat> we look to nature. See what we got in nature. Nature's great. I mean, you learn a lot about God in nature, sort of at the macro level, though, okay? Problem with nature, nature is like flying over this, you know, big, beautiful city in a jet. You know, if you've ever flown over some of the big cities, you know, whether it's, you know, New York, if you ever land the first time, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh. Or Chicago or maybe, you know, London or exotic places. Maybe you've been to some exotic places before. From the air, <clears throat> big, large cities, they're magnificent. But when you get on the street, oftentimes they're dirty and they're dangerous. So which one is it? This is the problem with nature. Nature from a distance is magnificent. Nature up close will kill you. Right? Beautiful sunrise is basically light reflecting off of stuff. It's the glory of God. But don't get too close to the sun, right? Same with nature. Nature is great on the History Channel. Nature is great with binoculars, okay? Like far, far away, right? But when you get close and you smell it and you see the circle of life, which really isn't the circle of life, you know what it is? It's just whatever's bigger eats what's smaller. That's what it is. And it's a little dirty and it's a little dangerous. And the problem with nature is that at the end of the day, nature is about the survival of the fittest. There's no grace in nature. There's no forgiveness in nature. There's no compassion in nature. Nature will only get you so close. And I'm not dissing on nature, okay? I'm just telling you, there are some things that are true about God that you will never learn or discover by taking the path of nature. That, that's why what we're talking about is so, so amazing. God wanted you to know what God is like. And God who created nature and God who created the within you, who understands, you know, our desire to systematize things. I mean, God who gave a very systematic law, you know, to Old Testament people. That very same God said, look, that's not enough. I want you to know me. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to become one of you. I'm going to live among you, and I'm going to communicate to you in a way, and I'm going to show you what God is like. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? Here's what it means. It's so simple. If you move past Jesus, because it's really all about Jesus, if you move past Jesus, you're moving away from God. That God isn't, you know, out there, although God is reflected, there are some reflections of God out there, but if you move past Jesus, you're moving away from Him. If you stop short of Jesus, if you stop short of insights, you know, about God that would help you in your life and maybe further your understanding of perhaps what God wants, you know, for you. So the, the, the greatest way to understanding God is to look at Jesus. So here's what I want to challenge you to do, and then I'm done. <clears throat> I want to challenge you to pick up the gospel of Mark. 
We've been in this study for months now, and some of you haven't even read it through yet. I want to challenge you to pick up the Gospel of Mark, which we've been studying together, which is an account of the life of Jesus. And I just want you to begin reading it with this question in mind. What do I learn about God from Jesus? What do I learn about God from Jesus? Just, you know, pick up a document, a notebook, open up your mobile device, whatever. Begin to read and just ask the question, what do I learn about God from Jesus? As I'm reading through Mark's gospel, what what does it teach me? Because one of the reasons that God came to dwell among us was so that we could know him and that we would watch Jesus and know what God would do and listen to Jesus and know what God would say. So why wouldn't we be curious enough to read the account of the life of Jesus with the question, what do I learn about God from, from the Son? What a tragedy. What a tragedy to miss God because you were too lazy to read. What a tragedy to think that your whole life, you had a Bible sitting on a coffee table just collecting dust or a Bible or something that maybe your mom or your dad gave you. What a tragedy to have that in your house and to think that within the pages of Mark's gospel, there are insights about your heavenly Father and what He's like. And it's been sitting there all these years. And meanwhile, you're out there looking at nature, trying to figure it all out, and looking within, trying to figure it all out, and how your parents acted and trying to figure it all out. What if the way is, is more simple than that? What if God wants you to know him to such an extent that he made it, he's made it so simple and it's been right under your nose since you were a kid? John said, in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh and the word dwelt among us. And the reason he came and dwelt among us is so that we could know God, the very God, the very God that Jesus has invited us to refer to you. As Father, and friends, it just doesn't get any more intimate and relational than that. So that's my challenge. Read the Gospel of Mark. Read it with that question in mind. And then we'll come back next week and we'll talk about a third reason that Jesus came to be among us. Amen. Well, why don't you stand with me and uh, let's pray together and then I'll dismiss you. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. That here we are in the 21st century, all these thousands of years later, and we get to read about these incredible stories, a conversation that Jesus, you had with your guys 2,000 plus years ago. How amazing, amazing is that? Father, thank you so much that you inspired John through the Holy Spirit of God to write him down. And that through the years, as we've studied church history and if we looked at the history of the church, through the years, men and women have risked their lives so that 2,000 years later, we could have them in multiple translations. We've got such easy access to your word. Maybe more now today than ever. 
Father, I just pray that as we open up the pages of your word, that as we read the gospel of Mark, I just pray that you would enlighten our hearts. We want to see you like you really are. And I pray that as we read that gospel, something would happen on the inside of us that gets our lives and gets our thinking and gets our attitudes in sync with the way that you think and the way that you see the world and the way that you see the person and the people around us. Father, we're so grateful for that and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. We'll see you next week.